you know, maybe your co-founders are sitting back because they don't want to pour all their nights and weekends into the product when they don't feel like you can actually sell, you know? Hmm. And so, and if you're not bringing the feedback back to them, they're probably like, what's the deal? We've spent a year building out this product and you still can't sell it. What's going on? Hey, this is Heath Padgett and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 102. Today kicks off the first episode in a five-part series I'm calling Make Me Feel Dumb. The idea behind the series is to bring on guests who can challenge me in various areas of our business. We've never hired a business coach or anything like that, but I want to be intentional on putting myself around people who can really question my specific behaviors and the way that we're running our business and sometimes this is a challenging thing to do when you live in an RV. It's not like we're working in a co-working space or have investors in our business who can kind of audit it from the outside in. So that's kind of the thought behind this series. And I will say before jumping in, this series is very, very transparent and awkwardly vulnerable to the extent of embarrassing. I share a lot of things that I haven't shared outside of even talking with just my co-founders and some of my closest friends about our business and various parts of it. So we share real numbers and dig into a lot of uh, things that are kind of a little bit scary to put out there in the world, but my hope is that they can be valuable for you guys. And the guy you just heard me talking with is Nathan Berry. He's a friend and the founder of ConvertKit, one of the fastest growing email marketing companies in the world and who we've used to send our emails out for the past couple of years. His company is on track to do $10 million in revenue next year. He has a team of 30 employees, and he bootstrapped the business all while maintaining an app design education business and blog community he had built a few years back. I'm actually sitting here um, in Florence, Alabama. So, Oh, see I recognize that that basement studio. Wes and Tira. Hello. He says hello. How's it going? He says, how's it going? They can't hear you, but... Oh, and I recorded this interview in the basement studio of my friend Wes Wages' office in Florence, Alabama. He has three young kids all under five years old, so you might hear them occasionally laughing, crying, or playing in the background. There's like a few, I guess, kind of pain points in that we're kind of working on. It's one is still kind of getting traction in, in the software side of our business. And we're still building up Heath and Alyssa in this RV entrepreneur niche and building community here. And then the third component of that is we're still doing client work. So I guess for me, like when I've looked at, I wanted to be a lot further along in our software business this year. Right. And when I look at all like the quote unquote excuses I have, it's really just been like, I haven't had time. Like we're, we're making more money and, and things of that nature and our, our community is growing, but it's just like the bandwidth of time has been hard because it's like, we're essentially running three different businesses, our client business, our, our personal brand business, which, you know, is affiliate revenue, um, have an ebook, you know, our conference is part of that. Um, yeah, so what's the revenue split on like between those things? Um, so client work paying anywhere between like we have a couple clients, so that's paying like anywhere from five to ten grand a month right now for okay. the client side of our business, and it's a couple of those. And then our blog is producing around like fifteen hundred to like twenty five hundred if we do like some a couple extra pushes a month, but the fifteen hundred is like every month, and then the podcast is like. 750 a month and it's kind of i guess lumped into that as well on the website so it's like po podcast sponsorship revenue so that's kind of where we're at right now and um campground booking still and then the conference drives revenue in one big chunk is it profitable yeah it is so and then you were going to say the campground booking numbers yeah so yeah zero <laughs> okay zero sounds really painful to say 
that I've been working on campground booking for a year now and it's not yet producing revenue. I think what makes this feel even more magnified is that I've talked about it on the podcast, on our blog, to friends. I feel like I want to be able to give an update and say we're finally at X amount of recurring monthly revenue. The business is doing well. But the truth is we just haven't gotten there yet. And this is part of the reason I wanted to sit down and talk with Nathan. He understands the struggle and the amount of time that goes into bootstrapping a software business. And he also understands what it's like to proclaim to the world that you're going to build this thing and then it take a while for that thing to take off. Nathan had built a pretty well-known blog around web design and building iPhone apps before ConvertKit. And he told his community in the beginning, he's like, hey, I'm going to be building this email marketing company. And in six months, my goal is for it to be producing $5,000 in reoccurring monthly revenue. But it took longer than six months, a lot longer. It felt like forever. So let me think. Yeah, it was 28 months. Um, now, most of the growth came in that last six months. You know, so 22 months in, we're at 1,300, 1,300 to 5,000 in the next six months. But I'm wondering, so I guess two things. One, first on the, the podcast, the podcast and the, the site, you know, it sounds like client work's actually driving the bulk of the revenue there. Is that right? It is. But it's all, it's very aligned with everything else. Like the client is with two companies that actually have a lot of crossover with our personal brand. It's, it's actually driving, um, you know, like, they're helpful in giving feedback on what we're building with campground booking and also even driving like from the Winnebago stuff. It's like driving people back over to us as a personal brand because we're working with this big iconic company. So it kind of works on a lot. Of, it's very intertwined. So it's not like a year and a year and a half ago, we were doing video courses for clients for the most part of our income. And we were doing everything from like working on, you know, with clients that were doing courses on like uh, how to get a job to like breastfeeding consultants. So it was right. like totally not aligned with what we're doing now. So it's like, at least Wes is laughing at me. So at least it's aligned now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. It sounds like you need more time to work on the campground booking. I think and that obviously what gives more time is more money. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of the biggest pain point right now is like, do you can continue kind of keep doing it in the small amount of time that I've been giving it, which is it's been getting way afterthought right now, but it's not producing any income to like take over my, my full-time thing. And, you know, like we have traction in our personal brand, if you will, like we're not, it's not mm -hmm. huge, but it's like, we have a conference, we have a podcast and a blog and things like that. Oh yeah. You I mean, you just sold out a conference to 250 people. Like that's a lot of traction. You would not believe the amount of work I put into to sell, you know, 250, 300 tickets to a conference. Like, it is hard to do. <laughs> like, how much time per week are you spending on campground booking? Five, five to hours? Five to 15 max, maybe. If I'm being honest, okay. which is hard for me to say, like, if I'm being honest, though, that's probably what it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're not going to... Like you're not going to get much traction there. So at this point, it's either do you decide that you're okay with the amount of traction that you're getting or do you change things up so that you can, um, you know, so you can put a lot more time in. And so the ways to do that, right, obviously if you weren't worried about money, like if someone was just handing you 10 grand a month, you, my understanding is you'd put 90% of your time into campground booking. Is yeah, that right? Right. Yeah. So, well, I guess let's back up from there first. Why why not double down on the personal stuff? If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know Nathan isn't the first person to bring this up to me, the personal brand versus the startup thing. I had a whole episode recorded about this a while back. And I've had this conversation on multiple occasions with multiple people, 
including my co-founders, Alyssa, and other friends. The truth is, I want to do more than the personal brand. I want to build something bigger than myself that can scale and operate without me. This is me trying to explain that to Nathan. I don't want to, um, you know, like we're not going to travel full time in an RV forever. And a lot of the niche type stuff that we've done in, in that side of the space is kind of built around like us traveling around the country in an RV. And um, I just have a desire. I want to build something that's bigger and I can put a team around it and solve a bigger need right. in this space. And I kind of look at it as like, this is something that like, you know, we'll probably, you know, if we decide to, to buy a house, you know, within the next couple of years, it's like, it's something I can continue building and being involved in the RV space and not necessarily have to feel like I need to travel around the country in RV. Like I've seen some people who kind of build their, they put their flag in something and they're like, this is me. Like I'm the voice for, for 20 year olds. And then they're like 45 trying to still be like the voice for 20. And like, I don't want, I don't want that to be me and right. try to be something I'm not like, I love, I enjoy business and I like RVing. And I feel like this is a way to still continue to mesh those two, even if we're not traveling full time. Okay, that's interesting. But to a certain extent, we don't. I, I guess we don't have to be traveling full time in RV to still be doing the personal brand stuff, <laughs> right? Yeah, especially because like we're talking about business right now, and you know, it's only barely relevant that your business happens to be about RVing for the conversation that we're having now, right? Yeah, very. We're actually. I, I actually thought I was going to be getting more leads to our software side of our business from the personal brand, but it, but it wasn't like that. Like you were much smarter with ConvertKit. Like you had an audience of people who could be your customers for this, and uh, I thought maybe I did, but I didn't. Yeah, it, for ConvertKit, it still didn't drive. Revenue. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, at least maybe you know not beyond that first couple thousand, you know, first fifteen hundred of monthly recurring revenue. Yeah, it just. Selling software through like content and a brand, especially when you don't have any traction, is incredibly hard. Like it's not the approach that I, it's not what worked for us, and it's not the approach that I would take again. Hmm. The approach that works is like buckling down and doing sales and like getting on all of these calls. So I, I did. Um, that's one thing I started with like this past year. Like I've we've talked to over a yep. hundred campgrounds since we started last year. Like I've went, I've actually shadowed in offices. Like in the like as we've been to campgrounds, like building on our software. Um, so I guess one kind of specific question is like, where where we're at is like I have a pretty good pulse on what our product needs to have for them to pay for it and put their credit card in. And there's been a little bit of a gap in like us getting momentum to to that. Point. So for instance, like we built out kind of what we thought was a. a it wasn't even a minimum viable product. It was like an almost viable product, but not yet. Like it was enough to show people uh -huh. that, you know, we're working on this and here's what we've got. And they're like, oh, good direction, but you need this and this and this. And so like now we're kind of in the phase of going back to build that, but it's almost, it's kind of been a little bit disconcerting too, because there's that phase between like, am I actually going to get to the part where this is something that they really want and pay for? And is a year... Is a year a short period of time for that? Is it a long period? Like when you were building ConvertKit, I'm assuming you kind of built it in chunks and like got feedback along the way. Yeah, I mean, it built it fairly continuously. Um, and it took a long time to get it to that point. Really? But I'd be really worried if, if people are continuing like, oh, once you have this, then I'll buy. And if they're, if that's always the answer, like you start to be really worried because that's, that's a common way that people reject you, mm. you know? And so you should often take that as a no, not as a, oh, sweet, I've got the sale. I just need to go build this other stuff first. Hmm. Like, have you run into that where you come back to someone? Someone says, oh, once you have this and I'll buy, and then you build that and come back to them? No. And you're like, oh, I, once you have this other thing? We, we haven't because 
I don't think we haven't really gotten to that place where we have all the specific parts, at least on the property management side, where we've come back to them because we haven't got all that built out yet. And I think that's just maybe where we've kind of so dropped what's the, the yeah yeah what's what's holding things up there? Um, I get I guess it has just been time and priority. Like we finally have a, a contract that is literally keeping us to getting it done by like December fifteenth. And I guess in the past it's been like you know, handing it off to, I don't know. I don't know why it hasn't, it hasn't gotten done. Like, you know, we, we just haven't pushed it enough. I don't know. <laughs> yep. So this is where the make me feel dumb part of the series comes into play. It's painful re-listening to myself stumble over my own words here, but I don't really know what else to say. I'm not sure what has held me up, but that's why I asked Nathan to talk with me, to pull these answers out of me and to offer a different perspective that I wasn't already getting. It's hard to Because basically what you're telling me is that you've done the direct sales, you've done the boots on the ground, talked to 100 campsites, not a single one has purchased because of these other this functionality that's needed, and you still haven't built the functionality that's needed. Yeah, pretty much. So that's like, you're not, and you're not the one building the functionality, right? No, we have a developer. So I mean, the limitation is at least... If you, if you believe people when they say, once you have this and I'll buy it, which I find often they you know, people who have not paid you money are not to be trusted, mm-hmm. um, or not to be believed, uh, then your problem is like the speed of development. And so then you like, you're having this trade off between shoot, what do I do? Do I put time into the personal brand versus the, the software product? And that's really not the trade off that you have to make, right? Because if you put more time into the software product, my understanding is it wouldn't accelerate the development. Is that right? Yeah, because I'm not developing. Yeah, so I mean, it sounds like at this point, if you poured more time into the personal brand, made more money, and then applied that money to, you know, if you were able to funnel five grand a month into development the cost. campground booking development cost, right, would that accelerate things? I think so. I've thought about what it would look like to do this, to reinvest money back into campground booking, especially now that our debt has paid off. But Nathan makes a solid point. If our product isn't yet at the place where it needs to be, then simply pouring more of my time into it wouldn't quite help. So I'm not sure what the right answer is here, and it's a little tricky. It's easy to throw money at a situation to try and fix it, and I know it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Yeah, and are you vesting the equity? We don't have it written down. Okay. Yeah, so you need to vest the equity. Like, everyone needs to vest their equity. Um, and so standard on that would be, Four years, you know, or, uh, yeah, four years with a one-year cliff, or four years no cliff. Let's say you're each getting thirty percent, and you're withholding ten percent for future employees, or something like that, right? So that makes up the whole pool of a hundred percent. What most people do, and this is a mistake, is when they walk in on day one, they're like, "Cool, I've got thirty percent, or thirty-three percent, or whatever," and you do, and you do as well. Um, or they come up with some other structure where they're like, oh, you're working on it full time. I'm working on it part time. So you should have 40. I should have 20, you know, something like that. Um, but the mistake that they make is that everyone is getting that from day one. And so let's say everyone hustles really hard for six months. And then someone says like, uh, I, I don't know. I can't like I can't do this anymore or one founder is not pulling their weight or something like that. You can kick them out of the business. But they still have their 33% or whatever amount because they walked in with it on day one. And so what you do instead is you vest everyone's equity. And so the pool that you're all vesting towards is that that 100%. And you just divide it out and say, okay, so after you've worked 
you know, over these four years, then you'll have the full percentage. And mm. it, and if someone leaves or if, you know, two co-founders decide they need to fire another co-founder, that person is out, but they're not out with their full 30%. They're out with, you know, 6.2% because that's what had vested mm. so far over the process. Yeah. And you had one founder, uh, co-founder, or was it just you? Yeah, coming in coming in later. Okay. Um, so he came in two years in. Okay. Um, and then I ended up buying him out. And it's really good that the equity was vesting because it would have cost me significantly more money otherwise. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that you did that. No, that's a good point. Sometimes it, it feels like, and I think maybe that's even a part of it. That's like a mental, like, a, like I think, I don't know if you've ever felt this in various parts of your business where you hit this phase where you're like at a mental shift where you're like, okay, now I'm serious about this. Like you may have been doing it and working towards it. Yep. Yeah. And you've got to, you've got to hammer that out and you've got to have an actual agreement and right. Because you've got two people working on the product side. And so that product had better look good and better have what it needs. So long as like, there's another risk where on the sales side, and I've seen plenty of CEOs do this and hopefully I haven't been guilty of it, but where you come back and you're like, oh man, I tried to win this deal, but they just, you know, they wouldn't go for it until we had this feature and use that as an excuse and blame it on the other co-founders, you know, or on the product team or engineering or whatever as to why you couldn't make the sale. Hmm. And you can fall into that trap because they're like, you're a startup. You will never have the functionality that they say they need. Like it's just never going to happen where you're going to walk into a sale and someone's going to be like, you know what? This is magic. Like you have every <laughs> single thing that you need. Like we've been, we're coming up on five years running ConvertKit now. And we've got a team of 30 people working on it full time. And like every single big sale that I walk into, like they're like, ooh, I don't know. You don't have this functionality. I don't think I can go for it. And what do you say? Right? It's good it's enough my, for it's good enough for Pat Flynn. It's good enough for you, kind of thing. Like, um, yeah, you get into some of that, but then you know you you've got to sell around it. You've got to talk through how it'll solve their problems. How, like, yeah, you're missing that functionality, but tell you what, until it's built, we'll do that part of it manually for you. Hmm. You know, or like it's your job as a salesperson to overcome those objections because hmm. they're always going to be there. Hmm. Now they might get easier, right? Um, so we just came out with this, the visual automations product. And so for the longest time, people were like, oh, I'm not switching to because you don't have this. Mm. But now like we just had this review come out where it's like, oh, man, it's amazing that Confirm has this, but like it's too big. You know, There's mm. not enough functionality in it, right? And it's that, that objection will always be there, and you've got to sell past that talk to you. Like, okay, it's too basic. Let's get into the details. Like how is it actually too basic? What are you trying to accomplish? And then you work around that another way. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think from my perspective, it's like I, pr I know I don't think I've done a good enough job of coming back after those conversations and prioritizing the things that we needed to put in the feedback. Like I don't think I think and maybe that's where the time has come in perspective it's like well okay this isn't working and like no one's wanting to jump on yet but if i actually look and try to diagnose like where we've been with this it's like after those conversations i haven't really taken a lot of that information and brought that back to the team and laid that out and said like if you guys if, if y'all don't if you build this you know like i think we can sell this kind of thing like i don't even think i've done that part from my side of things so and again i guess that's just an excuse that's where this is a painfully awkward conversations because it's like sometimes you need someone looking at this and be like dude you're not even doing the, the minimum thing that you need to be doing so 
So even to this day, after every meeting that I have, particularly the in-person ones, where we're like, I'll take a trip to, uh, I went to New York a week or two ago, you know, had a bunch of meetings. Afterwards, I'll type up all of the notes from it, you know, and I'll usually, like, you could spend forever on that, so I'll usually set a timer in, you know, 30 minutes to type up my notes for the meeting, or I'll use a plane ride back or, you know, something like that. Um, and then I'll post it so that everyone has access to that because we have this idea in, in our company of work in public of like everything that you do, you're going to do in public so that it's shared with everyone and everyone can learn from it. Mm-hmm. And so you've just got to share all of those notes and you've got to come back and say, okay, I can win this deal if we have this functionality. And you as a salesperson should be like, cool. And it sounds like this is what you did with the one sale that you have closed of like, they're like, we need this functionality. And you're like, we don't have it yet, but we will by this date. So let's close the deal. Mm. Cause you can push back on it and, say, and get people to help fund development, you know, and all this stuff. So you can say, Hey, I need you to buy a year of this upfront. Then, then we'll add this custom development that you need, you know, and they're paying a thousand bucks and you're getting the sale locked in. You know exactly what needs to be built and you can put that into the contract. Hmm. But if you're always waiting to have the, I see, I guess I see two problems. If you're always waiting to have the perfect product in order to close a deal, that's never going to happen. And then the other side is if you're not conveying the exact feedback to the product team, then you're also never going to get the product that you need. Of all the things that Nathan said today, I think this is absolutely what I needed to hear most in this conversation. That if I'm always waiting to have the perfect product in order to close a deal, that's just never going to happen. It's so easy for me to feel like we need to be at a perfect place before closing a deal and have everything that the customer wants. But that's not true or realistic. I think internally I've been waiting for this perfect moment, this inciting incident or X number of dollars to come in before really committing all of my time to this. But Nathan's making me realize that there's no inciting incident. If I'm going to move things forward, it's going to be because I make the choice to do that. You're waiting for, you know, you said that inciting incident or or something Hmm. to come to you and for someone to say, you know, um, like, okay, now you should go all in on it. And really you have to make that happen. You have to like drag that person kicking and screaming into actually signing the contract and buying it. And like uh, back when ConvertKit was maybe eight or 9,000 a month in revenue, I first toyed around with the idea of raising money for it and, you know, raising funding. And so I met with a bunch of different people, asked them if they'd be interested. And someone was like, yeah, um, I'm interested if you pull around together and it has these influential people in it, Hmm. you know, because they wanted to invest alongside these other, like they want to have their name next to these. Yeah. I talked to some of the other people, they weren't really interested in investing. And so like the rounds didn't happen. And I went back to the, or about a year later as ConvertKit was doing, you know, uh, 10 to, what would that be? No, it was doing 20 times the revenue a year mm. later. Wow. I ran into this guy again at a conference, and he was like, dude, why didn't you let me invest? Mm. And I was like, you could have invested at any point, right? You, you know, He was waiting for me to come back and be like, okay, please invest. Here's the term sheet. Here's, here's all of this. But the last thing that he had said was like, oh, if you pull in these other big names, like I'm in with them. Mm. And he was waiting on me to, you know, in, in order to like – beg him to come back and invest and do all the work and that kind of thing, which is, I guess, usually how it works. But he was like, hey, I was trying to invest. Why didn't you 
Mm. You know, because his money would have been worth in one year would have been worth 20 times the amount. So do you think that if you would have go ahead? Oh, just that he was able to use that as an excuse of like, oh, Mm. man, I tried to invest in ConvertKit, but Nathan never gave me a chance. And it's like if he had actually tried, he absolutely would have been able to. I was I was thinking that you were maybe tying that back to like uh, the product, like a potential customer, you know, like going back to them and actually making the ask. But I don't think that's what you're doing. Well, so, I mean, that comes in as well, right, of. Where you're like thinking, oh, I don't think this person is, you know, like, why didn't they buy? Why didn't, or once this person buys, then we'll go down this road, you know, and you can do that all day, but really it comes down to you <laughs> making the sale and forcing it to happen. Um, and, you know, maybe your co-founders are sitting back because they don't want to pour all their nights and weekends into the product when they don't feel like you can actually sell, you know? Mm. And so, and if you're not bringing the feedback back to them, they're probably like, what's the deal? We've spent a year building out this product and he still can't sell it. What's going on? Mm. If you're not communicating to them like, oh, it needs this one exact thing. And if you see it from the perspective of like, you know, you're not the product guy, so you can't explain or design out this one exact thing. uh, That's, I would think of that as an excuse because really you're the, you're the one who has that industry knowledge, right? A designer who works at Chargeify He's not going to be like, oh, I know all the ins and outs of the RV business. Or well, they're, the they're both RVers too, so. Okay, so yeah. maybe they are, right? <laughs> but if they're not having the, those conversations, you know, with the potential customer, then there might be information that's trapped in your head. And so you have to buckle down and say, you know what, I'm going to write out what the feature needs to be. I'm going to sketch it out on paper, get these ideas out there, because that's what needs to happen to close the sale. Hmm. No, that's good. Um Going back to what you had asked earlier was like, why not just double down on the uh, the personal brain side of thing? Why didn't Why didn't you do that? Because I knew that I hadn't given ConvertKit my best shot. I'd always half-assed it or like given it part-time effort or that kind of thing. And I knew that if I shut it down and went all in on the personal brand, I would forever wonder if I could have made it work. And I wasn't willing to live with that. If you, I mean, is there elements of like my situation that you can tie back to yours? I know it's different, but is there some commonalities? And you, and what would you, what would you have told yourself? And if you could go back and think about like your, I guess your effort level and, and things like that, like what would you have done differently? Well, I think the biggest thing I would have done differently is um, like actually schedule out the time to work on ConvertKit, right? Because you have to at this stage you have to find the balance between the two because the income level isn't high enough or, you know, unless there is some way that you could be like, look, I can run the personal brand in five hours a week. while Alyssa runs all the rest of it, you know, and then I can spend the other 55 hours a week on the campground booking. Um, I like how it's only in a 60 hour work week, but that, You know, we try to keep uh, like a little work-life balance. Right, yeah, only 60. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think people make that mistake if they do their math off of a 40-hour work week and it's just like <laughs> you, you are in the wrong game if you <laughs> are aiming for a 40-hour work week. Hmm. Um, the personal brand is a great is the right game to be in if you eventually want a 40- or 30-hour work week. The startup one, like, good luck. <laughs> that It's just... To me, a pipe dream. What it, looking now that you're running ConvertKit all the time, um, how does 
like your um, fulfillment level compared to personal brand stuff? Like when you were doing that, you're making a great living. And I'm assuming like your salary is probably comparable or even less than even what you were making. And obviously you have equity in the company if you sold it, like, you know, you do well. But um, so like fulfillment level of running ConvertKit versus like personal brand, how does that compare and contrast? Yeah, it's probably like 10 times higher. Really? Like, wow. Oh, I, I love running ConvertKit so much more than personal brand. There are still elements of the personal brand that I miss, right? I like creating. I like connecting with people. I, I like it when I share something on Twitter or Hacker News or Reddit and it like gets all the upvotes and comments, yeah. you know? Um, and because there, there are things like that where, you know, ConvertKit's a way more successful business, but it, maybe some of the speaking invites don't come out as often because like it's more behind the scenes, you know? Uh, whereas if my whole job was to get out, like get out in front of people, um, then some of the networking and that kind of thing would be easier. But like, I love having a team. I like running a business. I like recurring revenue. Um, you know, like, like you mentioned, my salary is a little bit higher now, but not, not much. It's like, you know, 20, 30% higher. But at the same time, you know, I have this business that's worth many, many, many millions of dollars if I ever did want to sell it. Yeah. What is ConvertKid doing like 10 million this year or something like that? Yeah. We're at 10 million, uh, annual run rate. So that's, uh, you know, forward looking, we'll do at least 10 million. I think trailing revenue for this year to be like 8 million is what we'll come out in 2017. Not bad. So (laughs) it'll work. Um, it definitely has, I mean, it has a new set of challenges, right? There's times where you're like, just want to, like, oh, if I can just work on my blog, then, you know, I'm not accountable to anybody. I don't have to deal with these. You know, like we had an employee resign two days ago, you know, on a Sunday morning. And I'm like, really? This is what I'm dealing with on a Sunday morning? Mm. You know, and you're like trying to all that. And the personal brand, you don't have to deal with that. But like, I don't know. Like, what was the mental mindset as you're going through like some of those early days and to kind of keep holding on it and, and keep pushing through it, you know? Well, I think it was making just enough for a lot of that time, you know, it was a thousand, two thousand a month that it was actually bringing in, bringing in something and I was using it and, you know, I was proud of the product. Um, so for a while it was just like, yeah, I wish it was more successful, but like, it's not a failure. Hmm. And I remember thinking like, it would have been easier if it was, hadn't brought in no revenue. Cause then obviously I could say, oh, it's clearly not working. Hmm. Um, but with a little bit of revenue, then it was like, oh shoot, it's not, it's not a total failure, but it's also definitely not a success. With, with that long period of time, like 22 months before hitting like those initial goals, especially when you were pretty public about on your blog, like I want to hit 5k MMR in like six months and you're like, I didn't do that. Um, did you ever, did you have people come back to you and they're like, Oh, how's ConvertKit go, doing? You're like, Oh, it's like a thousand bucks a month. And you're like kind of almost embarrassed about it or no. I felt that way. The truth is other people, like if building a software company is so hard that if you get it to a thousand dollars a month in revenue, like you deserve respect. At least that's how I feel. And I, I think a lot of people feel that way as well. That like it's really challenging. And so yeah, $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month, it wasn't the goal. And it, but like it's hard to get to that point. And once you get those first handful of paying customers, you know, and then you start, you know, ramping it up from there, like it's hard to do. And a lot of those people who are commenting on the blog, yeah, there will be some who's like, oh, took you. You said you were going to do it in six months and took you 28 months, you know? Um, you just have to know that they, they're not going to get it either. You know, they're not going, they don't have the ability to cut off. Anyone who has actually done it before is going to be like, yeah, it's hard. 
and they're going to commiserate with you and they're going to be on the side of creators, you know, and they're not going to be like, uh, like you're such a failure. Mm. Yeah. I love they've it. They've done it before and they know it's hard. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, dude. This was, this was great. Um, pain painfully vulnerable like i wanted it to be so <laughs> yeah i mean it's good that you do this kind of thing to yourself <laughs> i'm not sure if it's true that this is a good thing to do to myself but i hope you enjoyed that conversation with myself and nathan barry this is the first of five podcasts that i'm doing in the make me feel dumb series next week i have one coming out with jeff goins who is a best-selling author and a good friend of mine who lives in Nashville, we sat down last week, and to talk about our journey in writing and how we have goals of publishing books and why bigger isn't necessarily better when it comes to blogging and building a community, but how to focus on the people that you're already serving or the people that we're already serving, because it's kind of like us. Uh, you know, Part of this was making this feel more like a coaching series because it, it really was. I reached out to a lot of the people who I admire in business and I offered to pay them. We set aside a budget so that I could sit down and have conversations like this with Nathan and Jeff and offer to pay them for their time because I want to be respectful of their time because they're all running businesses and they're really busy. So far, none of them have taken it, but just as a side note. <laughs> Let me know how you guys are enjoying the Make Me Feel Dumb series so far. Shoot us an email or shoot us an Instagram message at Heath and Alyssa. And make sure to go give Nathan Barry a shout as well at Nathan Barry on Twitter and look up convertkit.com if you want to check out his email marketing software. I will see you guys next time on the RB Entrepreneur Podcast.